The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday we are talking USC football. Of course, the Ducks of Oregon came into the Coliseum on Saturday night, put a shellacking on the USC Trojans. We're going to talk about that with Coach Harvey Hyde. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too. The number is 424-254-9141. We'd love to hear from you. This is a caller and email-driven show. You've sent us text calls. Uh, emails. We love to answer all those questions, so we'll do our best to get to each and every one of them today. If you want to subscribe to uh, any of the podcasting services where the Peristyle Podcast can be found, we do appreciate that. Tell your friends, maybe leave us a, a five-star rating, a positive review. All that stuff is very helpful to uh, grow the show. And this is, like we said, this is our 12th football season, three quarters of the way through our 12th Football season covering the Trojans here on the Peristyle Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Without you guys, we wouldn't be doing the show. So it's a lot of fun for us to do, and it's great when we're out and about and people come up and say, hey, I listen to the Peristyle Podcast. And it's like, thank you so much. Uh, got So let's bring in Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, I was golfing the other day, w- talking to a friend in a golf cart that's running by, and some guy stops me and is like, hey, hey, I know your voice. I know you. You're Ryan from the Peristyle Podcast. So fun stuff. Uh, glad we're uh, reaching a lot of these USC fans. Well, it is fun. It is fun to do this podcast, and uh, it is good to share, uh, fun to share our our ideas and opinions on what you're thinking about out there. And if you weren't thinking about what we're thinking about, you wouldn't be listening. So uh, keep sending your questions in. We'll honestly answer them. You know, uh, I try to do it. I'm not a homer, but I like to be honest, not personal as far as attacking anybody, but just giving you my opinion on what's going on. Yeah, that's what we try to do here. We want to be honest and open and, uh, you know, not not giving you like the Homer point of view. Just tell you, tell you like what we think. Tell it like it is. And uh, that's what we've been trying to do here over the years at the Peristyle Podcast. Well, like it is right now, Coach, is not exactly great. Uh, USC loses 56-24 to to the Oregon Ducks. There was a, you know, the funny part was there's about two minutes and 40 seconds left in the first half. And USC's winning the game. It's 10 to 7. Uh, and from that point on, the Oregon Ducks go on a 56 to 7 run. For something like that to happen, coach, and I know there was some weird stuff. There was the kickoff return for a touchdown. There was the pick six. Eight 
touchdown drives or eight touchdowns in a row for the Oregon Ducks. But for something like that to happen at home, Coach, when you are fighting for your life as far as head coach Clay Helton is concerned, I, I, mean, I don't know how you accept that. That just seems to be unacceptable to me. Well, Ryan, that can't happen unless you're helping them. And uh, that's exactly what happened. I was excited with the first opening drive, 16 plays, 77 yards, and then uh, two or uh, three and outs by the USC defense, and then the interception down to the eight-yard line, and then it started. Two wasted plays, a shovel pass down there in the goal line situation on the eight-yard line. My gosh, where did they get that down there when the field's so closed up and everybody's bunched up in the middle? Then the uh, pass, and then, of course, a uh, failed play, and then a kick field goal. And instead of being 14-zip, it's 10-zip. From then on, it just sort of uh, deteriorated, except for the final drive there before half when uh, uh, Denon took him down the field and scored a touchdown. They had a couple of penalties and also a couple of fumbles and turnovers that assisted Oregon during that period of time. And the fumble that... Uh, Sova said they'll turn into a touchdown and then uh 2117 and uh, I don't know but uh you know someone's got to be in charge of game management and I don't just lay this all on the special teams coach but to kick the ball down the middle of the field with uh you know 18 seconds left or whatever is absolutely stupid I mean uh, really and then two guys bump in, bump into themselves and an excuse why the seam was open to run for a touchdown, that shouldn't be happening either. But to kick the ball, just squib kick it. Or kick the ball out of bounds. Even kicking the ball out of bounds gives the ball on the 40-yard line with eight seconds left, which might give him a Hail Mary. And what's the chances of that happening from 60 yards away? So, you know, that, that those type of things just lead to disaster. Now it's all of a sudden 28-17, and then it continued. And USC basically just self-destructed. And uh, it's sad to see that happen. Uh, all the mistakes, the penalties, the turnovers, the interceptions, special teams breakdown, uh, no short yardage uh, offense, as we talk about all the time, passing the, the football for that many times. You don't pass the football for that many times if you're USC. This is USC. 57 rushing- times, Coach. 57 times. It's a school record for the true freshman, Keaton Slovis. So Todd Moretovich in 1989, my freshman year, went on the road to Notre Dame, threw it 55 times. 57. So that's that's pretty crazy. Well, that just showed you they only know one thing to do. And I've been telling you this in the spring when I didn't buy in. I told you guys this. So it's not like I'm saying I told you so and I'm just all of a sudden changing my mind. When you rush 25 times for 91 yards, are you emphasizing the run? Are you kidding me? And don't give me the excuses. We only have run one running back. I, I can remember when uh, Bell and Davis and Charles White and Mike Garrett carried the ball 30, 40 times a game. That was one back. You condition that back to do that as far as carrying the ball and catching the football and doing whatever is necessary to win. You know, you take the two 8-1 teams in the conference, you take Utah and you take even Oregon, you know, Huntley only threw the ball 24 times, 19 for 24. Herbert only threw the ball really 29 times, 23 for 29. They run the football. 
And if you're not tough up front, and you're not physical up front, and you don't have that philosophy, and you don't have short yardage offense and the different types of offenses that you need on four-down territory, three-down territory, or whatever you need on the field, hey, man, you don't have a complete uh, a game plan. You can't execute. And I think that's what their problem is. Yeah. Um, one of the things, Coach, that we talked about a little bit before we went on the air, we'll get into – some of the details of the game, but there's a lot of the questions have to deal with like the future of the program. I think one of the big concerns right now, and we're, you know, there's some people that are expressing their displeasure for the direction of the program, of course, but a lot of it is about there. There's fan apathy going on. They're they're just tired of it. They're over it. You saw people leaving the game in the second quarter after the bad things happened. Uh, to, you know, right before halftime, they just never came back. Um, you're seeing this fan base become apathetic and I, you know, we're still waiting on the USC as we're recording this, there's no announcement for USC's athletic director hire, but it just seems like right now the USC is losing the fans and, uh, it's, it's not a good look and they need to do something to try to get everybody back. You know, and it's not by accident. Uh, I mean, it's almost, uh, I would say like design. I mean, the changing of Dennis Packard off the PA announcing, I mean, it just keeps going on. The music before the game. I mean, I don't know how many of you people like, I like that or enjoy that. But I think people are late arriving because they don't want to listen to all that music, <laughs> screaming and yelling and stuff that's going on. I know the people I know that go to the game, including myself, I don't like it. I don't know if you like it or not. I don't know what that's all about. You know, USC is supposed to be surrounded around the family of Trojan football, not a hip-hop or whatever type of concert I'm listening to. It should be surrounded about around the band, the cheerleaders that everybody used to focus on. I don't know if they focus on them anymore. They don't give them any moment of, of glory. Or the traveler, the horse, and the lighting of the torch, and all the things that are great tradition at USC seems to be fading away by a lot of people that are probably running this thing that aren't USC people and really don't remember what Trojan tradition and Trojan football and Trojan life and family loyalty to the university is all about. And why do they leave early? They've had it. They've had it up to that period of time. They come late and leave early because they're not satisfied with what they're seeing as far as part of the, uh, the show, the before the game activities, the field on the team that's going on. And they say, hey, let's get out of here. And so many night games. Now the Cal game. They announced the time for the Cal game, 8 p.m. starting time. Yeah. 8 p.m. starting time. I mean, God, let's get realistic. I mean, are you kidding me? That's 11 p.m. on the East Coast. I mean, you talk about exposure. That basically shows you when they're selecting the games, the TV and so on, where the Trojan football program is. And I hate to say it like that, but it's the truth. Yeah, it is, Coach, and it's uh, it's definitely an issue right now. I don't want to be like the, you know, get off my lawn kind of guy, but it, when we're in the press box, I don't know if it's just because the speakers are like right at our level. It's almost hard to talk inside the press box. It's so loud. We can't even get like work done in there. I'd like to do like some videos and stuff from the press box like pregame, and it's like impossible to do. It's just so loud in there, and I don't think, you know, making it louder is like, changing how uh i mean i guess it's not changing 
you know, it's not making the fan experience any better. So it, it's not, I don't want this to come off as like, hey, get off my lawn. But it's really like, it doesn't seem like it's a pleasant experience. No, it's not. And then whoever's in charge of the video board, it's the same type of thing. I mean, here they are getting beat badly and they put up on the video board some of the players dancing during the summer or dancing during media day or picture day on the video board. I mean, it's just not appropriate. I mean, to show that type of stuff when you're getting your know-what kicked. Yeah. I mean, you got to have a little understanding of what's going on around here. And I know people look at that. That didn't turn them on. They want to see what's on the field, not what's on the video board. They look at the video board to see a replay, not to see all this hip-hop stuff and dancing and so on that they're putting on this thing. I mean, come on, guys. Listen to this podcast over there and grow up. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a real issue, um, and I, I don't know what to, what they're going to do about it, but there doesn't seem to be like this awareness of what's going on. And you mentioned the uh, – I just want to talk about this real quick. You mentioned Dennis Packer. So I think he was fired back in 2011 or so. Um, they have it – you know, the whoever the – I, I don't know. I'm, I apologize. I don't know the names of the PA announcers, but the regular PA announcer, the guy that's been the PA announcer for the last several years, wasn't doing this game – and there was a lot of people asking me. They weren't really happy with the person that filled in. So what happened was the the PA announcer for the Coliseum, also, I think he was for the Dodgers for a while, but he also does the LA uh, FC, the LA football club across the street from the Coliseum. They had a playoff game, and unfortunately he was in uh, what I was told is a, a fairly bad accident. And uh, I, I some people tell me he's recovering now and he's uh, he's doing all right, but he wasn't able to make the game. So the normal PA guy that's inside the press box did the full stadium, you know, public addressing. And uh, like I said, there, I just got a lot of not positive feedback. Now it's first time doing it and stuff. I don't know. It was hard for me to hear because I was listening to the radio broadcast in the press box. But just uh, we had a lot of people ask about it, so I just wanted to bring that up, Coach. No, and I'm glad you did, and I don't blame him. But uh, please, I, there, there are qualified announcers who have done football games before out there. Just pay them and let them come in and do the uh, game. Here it is down at, what was it, 42 or 48 or something, 17, and he's saying, first down, USC! <laughs> like, I mean, please. I mean, like, you know, hey, guys, be realistic. You're getting your butt kicked. You know, yeah. that's not such a big deal. I mean, and not against him but against the whole organization of what's going on there. And then after the game, and I don't mean to vent on this show, but I guess I do. Yeah, vent away. I do it on my other shows. After the game, normally your team goes in off the field, and you go in and you talk to your team, and you know your team's very dejected. And I'm worried about that as far as rebounding now, but this was their bowl game, beating Oregon, playing Oregon, and so on. And some of the people, nine, ten players, are sitting in the stands with their uniforms on with their parents or friends, please, who's in control? What's going on? When the new athletic director comes in, if he knows, I hope he does, what football's about, you look at that and you say, what? What are you talking about? These little things are what make the difference in what a program is all about. Who's in charge? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about who's in charge in a little bit, but let's do some of the... Um, some of the game stuff first. Why don't we get into some of those, Coach? Now, 
We had a, we have some voicemails to get to. We had a couple voicemails that were like three minutes long. Just to remind everybody again, we're not going to play your super long voicemails. This isn't your show. <laughs> you know, we can't play three minutes of voicemail on the podcast. So, and I'm not, I'm not taking the time to edit it down. So leave me a voicemail less than a minute or we're not going to play it. Frank on the East coast. It was like a three minute voicemail, but there were some good points in there. He was calling this football Gilligan's Island. He says, there's only three more sh- episodes of this show until it gets canceled. But he was pointing out the 57 throws we talked about with Keen Slovis uh, and only 4.6 yards per attempt. Um, he wanted to know what you would do. Cause Graham Harrell talked about afterwards that because of the running back injuries, he said that they you know wouldn't have run the ball more. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that, Coach? And thanks, Frank, for the for the voicemail. Well, you know that I don't want to hear that stuff. Okay, first of all, you don't have any running game anyway designed. If you had twelve running backs, I mean, uh, really, there's no series, there's no thought, there's no bootleg, there's no complete series of a jet sweep where Brown can touch the ball more in the running game, keep the backside out of the game. Uh, there isn't anything, and when you have a, a quarterback that got beat up like. Slovis did. It's terrible. They know where he is. He scrambled really well and made a tremendous play on the first touchdown when he hit London. Unbelievable play. Great kid, talented, but you got to help him with the type of running game and offense you have. So that play action pass means something. You can't play, play action pass doesn't mean anything to the opposite team. You don't run the football. So how in the hell can it make any difference? So you've got to be able uh, to, to, to develop a game that spreads the field with the running game and attacks it going north and south and try to hit the perimeter. And what they try to do is Kristen all the time is hit the perimeter, but they don't think he gets the middle. But I'll tell you what, he'll, he'll hit the middle. You've got to spread the field where they have to defend it, first of all. When you don't have to defend it, no, obviously it's going to be harder to run it in the middle of the field or the middle right down the middle. So, you know, you, you know so I don't want to hear that type of stuff. And then again, earlier in the game, they ran Brown and they had Pittman as a lead blocker, which really I said, what is going on here? And they had a little success with it, but after they never came back with it again, they just ran it early in the first drive. But you know, you don't have, you got to be good at the things you do. All of the things you need as far as in your offense or defense should have been done by now or done by the first game of the year. And you can't be creating things. You have to have things already ready to go. So, you know, when when you don't really uh, – and I don't blame Graham Harrell. I don't think he knows anything else. What I mean by that, he played under it, he coached under it, he knows what it is. So I don't know basically if he understands what I'm talking about. And, of course, this is my philosophy. But they're not prepared for short yardage. They're not prepared to go under center. They're not prepared to maybe do a simple quarterback sneak. They're not prepared for any of that type of thought. Where you on the field? It's always the same thing. And you talk about uh, the 4.5 average for pass. Everything is underneath. And as the field closes down, the, there's less field to cover. Do they throw? Do they try to keep the safeties in the middle of the field by running deep post routes or seam routes with the back or London down the field more, throw the ball down the field more to get the safeties over there and then hit the middle of the field? None of that. Yeah. So, you know. There's none of that that they do to try to help themselves, so it's very difficult to say, hey, where are we headed here? We got an email. Uh, they didn't leave their name, but it's, it's, it's titled, Again? And uh, after a great start, our depth shows we just don't have enough horses. But I am so tired of golly gee darn it, Hope Springs Eternal press conference every loss from Helton. If we have so much talent, like it's said repeatedly, it looks like guys gave up on Helton. He does nothing for progression, 
Harold Hypeover, has anyone heard an air raid siren all season? Uh, but I hear the sirens. Love your show. How do you guys feel? Well, you know, uh, how do we feel? <laughs> well, I think I think we're we're a little bit uh, discouraged, and I think the team is discouraged, and that's why I said a moment ago, as far as rebounding back against Arizona State, they've got three games to go. Certainly, they could win all three of these football games, but as we always talk about, these teams want to beat SC more than anybody else, so they better be ready to play. Uh, you know, excuses. People don't like excuses or how well the team's playing or the, and all this and that. People make their own opinion. They know how the team's playing and so on. And, and I love Clay Helton, the way he supports his team and so on. But, you know, really, people do get tired of hearing that. It's time to, you know, put up or shut up or get it done or show improvement and show that the things that, have, you know, we're going to work on it, we're going to get that cleaned up. You know, after a period of time, people have heard it and they don't want to hear it anymore. And there's becomes like a little bit of, you know, uh, I hate to say this and use this term, we need a change. And uh, I think that uh, they're at USC in a position right now where it's a very touchy situation as far as for the coaching staff, for the administration, with the new athletic director that's going to be hired. And I also think it's a real touchy situation for the president. Is the president going to allow the media to decide who they're going to hire? by who and what, who writes, reads, uh, writes what in the newspapers and decides someone shouldn't be the coach or someone should be the coach? Or is the, is the president going to decide with some leadership from the regents and trustees what they really need at USC as far as making a splash? You know, I, I'll tell you, Southern California and USC is a, is a superstar program, and they need a superstar person that's involved like LeBron James is and all these different people that that play in Southern California. It's a star-studded town. So the only way you can compete in this town is to compete with the same type of person. Now, I'm just telling you that if you do make a coaching change, you've got to shock the world. You've got to say, we don't think what anybody thinks. This is what's best for our university and our football program, and this is who we're going to hire, and then give that person an opportunity to run it the way he's won everywhere else to get that done. But a lot of people, you know, are talking about baggage and a lot of people are talking about this and that. And, you know, the people they're talking about, uh, he's never had an NCAA violation. And remember, when you win everywhere you've been, everywhere, Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, Ohio State, people don't look at the positive. They're looking at negatives to try to tear you down rather than congratulate you for kicking your butt. You're looking at ways that, well, he did this, and he'll, he did that. Every program in America has got some type of problem behind the scenes. And where does it always the coach's responsibility? When does it become the parent's responsibility, or the dean of admissions, or the dean of students? Why is the coaches? Now, I agree on the football field. 100% any action on the football field, it is the responsibility of the football coach on the actions of his coaches, and also the players. But 24 hours a day? Are you kidding me? Some people can't even do their own kids that have three kids 24 hours a day and manage it. So, you know, I'm just sort of venting on this. I just think the university should make the right decision that if they want Trojan football to be what Trojan football was 
Don't worry about what people are saying because it's going to be too late if you make a mistake this time because the young kids that are growing up will not remember Trojan uh, tradition, will not remember it. And there's only one guy or two guys that I know that can come in and turn around players that have already verbally committed to Oregon and Alabama and Clemson and some of these other schools out of state. And uh, if that coaching change is done, it better be the right one. Yeah, it could be too late. You're obviously talking about uh, Urban Meyer, Coach. I agree with you there. We're going to get to some of the – you kind of went from the game to, to that. But we'll uh, we'll get back to the game stuff a little bit, and we'll get into some of the futures talk. Um, this is uh, from Sergeant Rodney Strong. He said, well, this game sucked to watch. That first quarter was awesome. Then USC's lack of tackling and toughness showed its ugly head. To me, this game isn't on our defense. This game is on our offense. Our defense couldn't get off the field. And our offense stayed nice and fresh all game long because of turnovers and three and outs. Where does the team go from here? Thank you guys for all you do to keep me and the USC faithful informed with the team. Sergeant Sergeant Rodney Strong. Sorry about that. Thanks for your uh, service, Sergeant Strong. Well, where does it go from here? I think it's survival. I think you've got to pull the guys together and you fight for your life now. You're playing for really self-pride. That's what you're playing for. You don't want to have a series of these type of games back-to-back. I'd have a serious talk with my staff and have a serious talk with my team. And I'm going to say it, I didn't like the feeling the entire weekend. We were embarrassed. I didn't, I didn't even want to. I went home and my dog bit me. I mean, it's got to be a serious understanding of where we are and what we have to do the next three weeks. And you try to be positive and you try to get – your staff and you get your team and everybody motivated that, you know, we can finish eight and four and they sincerely can finish eight and four. Now I'm not saying that's what everyone expected or wants or so on, but eight and four is a respectable record by most universities in the country, but not at USC. So this is something I think you have to do. You have to say we're playing for our own pride. Don't read the newspapers. Don't worry about what people say, go to class, get done what you have to do. Get back and be with us. We're a family. We're on a mission by ourselves. We don't have much support right now, but we've got to go represent ourselves more than we do anything else. Let's don't embarrass ourselves. Let's do what we have to do and worry about what we're doing. And and if you worry about all what you're reading and what everybody's telling you in class and all around campus and what we're talking about right now and everything, you got some big problems. Yeah. So I think you got to really unite and put it together and just sort of, uh, you know, be together and know what you have to do because I'm telling you, if you listen and you read all day and all week, this is going on. You won't be ready to play on Saturday. I think they weren't ready to play on Saturday. Well, I guess they came out and played hard. I didn't agree with the other email either about uh, they don't have the horses. Of course they have the horses to play. They just, they, they came out, played hard for a little while. And then when things started to unravel, they just didn't have the uh, intestinal fortitude to just, you know, to, to handle it they just uh they just folded and that this is a team that hadn't given up all year but i think they gave up in this one in the second half you could tell after that kickoff return even after isaiah polamau went out with the targeting thing like the air kind of came out of the sails a little bit but after that kickoff return i think everybody in the stadium knew that game was over um john Abrea wrote in coach he said i'm wondering which of the following was more disappointing to you a usc wearing black socks b a captain in straight clothes going to midfield for the coin toss, or C, USC coaches not even attempting to create a package that will allow them to run the ball inside the 10-yard line. Why not a couple H-backs or an extra offensive lineman? Anything? 
They missed an opportunity to take control of this game early because they basically told Oregon, don't worry, we aren't even going to try to run the ball tonight. An 18-year-old freshman dropping back to throw the ball over 60 times against a top team. Who thought that was going to work? John and Brea. All of the above. I agree with all of the above. You didn't like the Black Sox, the the captain in street clothes, or the, the run game, yeah. No, I don't, I don't. I don't like any of the above. We talked about the short yardage. They have no idea what they're doing down there. Uh, they really don't. They don't. They don't have any ability or, or so on to think about what they're going to do in a short yardage situation or series. Uh, they're all pass. They talk about run, but they're not. And when they do run, they really. Uh, they're lucky if they get the ball into the end zone when they had steps in there. You know, he was big and powerful enough to get into the end zone. With a five-yard burst, a head start at the line of scrimmage, and luckily he'd be hit three or four times and found a way to get in there. As far as the socks are concerned, you hear me always talk about that, please, guys. I mean, let's get straight in the way. Let's have a a, a uniform that people recognize who we are and what the Trojans' uh, tradition is. You know, you know, the, you know. You've uh, we've talked about this. I mean, does that help you win more? Does that make change anything? Come out where people know who you are be proud of what your colors are and what you wear and i don't know where that comes from i mean i don't know who suggests it or what or makes those decisions but man grow up be who you are be the colors be proud of what you are and then also these camouflage headbands and camouflage armbands and all of this and stuff and someone told me they were wearing that because they said they were going duck hunting and all this type of stuff. Hey, that's Halloween stuff, okay? <laughs> if that's true, if that's true, Ryan, I don't know if that's true, but someone told me that. Maybe you know. I mean, really, what are we doing? What are we talking about? And then also on the sidelines, I don't see anybody talking to Clovis when he comes out of the game, except when he threw that interception. Coach Clay Elton talked to him, and I'm sure he gave him some encouraging words. Don't worry about it. We're going to get it done. But who talks to these kids? I mean, Graham Harrell coaches him, and he's in the press box. Who reassures him and talks to him during the game? And so on. Tim Drevno, the offensive line coach, he's involved in talking to the offensive linemen and so on. But who's coaching the rest of these guys? I mean, I mean, sideline discipline, the whole thing. So many people on the sideline. You mentioned it. Our question: a guy not dressed going out and representing the team as a captain. I I understand that, but he's not ready for battle. He should be wearing a Red Cross uniform, as they did in the service. I mean, all respect to all the injured players. I mean, I just don't think that they should be out there representing a team uh, on the flip of the coin. But that's their philosophy. And uh, that's what he's going to live or die with. That's Clay Helton's decision. That's not mine or yours who asked the question or anything else. We can like it or dislike it, but those are the things that people notice as far as part of the program. The running game we've talked about doesn't exist. I've talked about short yardage from the very beginning, even in camp, but I never saw him working on it. So, you know, these are all the things now that have caught up with the with the USC Trojan football program. I think they put too much on Kendon. I really do. That's why he's throwing interceptions. This 19-year-old kid, he's got everything on his shoulders. It's win or lose by one guy, the quarterback. And, and he sh- that shouldn't be happening. They've got to give this kid some help. Yeah. Uh, Keaton Slovis definitely needed some help there. and wasn't getting to ask him to throw 57 times. I don't think was realistic. Speaking of quarterbacks, Gary, class of 1975, uh, 
Uh, he said this actually before the game, but he said, before we played Washington, we heard how great Jacob Eason was. I wasn't impressed. Our three picks cost us the game more than Eason. Who's better, Eason or Justin Herbert, Oregon's quarterback? Do you? I mean, I think Justin Herbert's way better than Jacob Eason, but um, you know, Eason has his moments. But I don't know. It's uh, he wasn't. He hasn't been great. And they're you know they're five and four on the season too. It's not like he's lighting the world on fire. But what what do you think about those two guys? Well, it's again the same thing. The position you put your quarterback in. Moss is a great running back at. Uh, Utah, they play great defense. They're going to win with defense. They're going to run with the winning game or running game. They're going to win with Huntley as far as being an athletic quarterback. He came in as a runner, and he's now become a really true quarterback. He can throw the football as well as run the football. They've got some skilled players, but not superstar skilled players as far as outside. But because they run the football so well, you have to stop the run that it makes the passing game go, especially off the – Play action pass and also the keeps that Huntley runs. I mean, he's a dangerous cat, man. I think talk about and Herbert, what, coach Justin Herbert. Herbert, from okay, yeah. Herbert, okay, <laughs> Herbert. Oh, just, I, thought you I said, love that you just go in your own direction. Like compare, whatever you say, it compare, doesn't matter. <laughs> what do you? What? What was the? What was the Jake, question he wanted Jake, me to compare? Jacob Eason and Justin Herbert. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought he wanted me to compare uh, Hurley with, or you know what I mean, with both of them. Okay, well, Easton, yeah. Easton has, you said it right, Ryan, right at the beginning when you said he has his moments. He has his moments, and uh, he, he can throw the ball pretty good. He can throw the ball pretty hard, and he has shots. Uh, uh, but I don't think they're really in a rhythm. And I don't think that Peterson is really happy with the offense as far as what's going with the offense. And uh, they haven't lived up to what they're supposed to be. And, uh, uh no, uh, I would take Herbert over uh, Easton. There's no question about it. He's a big kid, strong kid, uh, can run, but you know, just good enough. You saw him score the once on the keep. Uh, he's not a athletic type of quarterback that's going to be uh, what's now changing the NFL. The NFL's changing with Jackson and Watson and all these guys that are running all over Hector. The NFL is going to have to change as far as the defensive coordinators and understanding the change is coming to the NFL also. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's hard for me to evaluate Easton. I mean, I haven't seen him play that much or either with Herbert. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We've got a voicemail for you, Coach. Here you go. Hi, Ryan and Gage. This is Alan in St. Louis. Uh, it's been a while since I last called the podcast, but I decided to leave a voicemail today because I have a specific question for Coach Hyde. Coach, years ago when I played football, I remember that our teams would have to resort to unique tactics if our opposition was more talented than us. So we try to get into the opposing team's head with trash talk and less than sportsmanlike behavior. Uh, so my question is, do you think the Ducks purposely started getting chirpy and bending the rules with their pass coverage after they fell down 10 nothing? Uh, were they trying to mess with an undisciplined team or was it just normal behavior? I know that if I was coaching against an undisciplined team like USC, I encourage my guys to ignore the opposition. Thanks, and as always, fight on. Now, that was blurry to me, but he's talking about chipping and so on as far as the USC players do. So he was saying, do you think Oregon got a little chippy on purpose after like the ten after they're down ten nothing because they know USC was an undisciplined team? And then you could take advantage of that. So basically, you're like kind of picking a fight with someone that you know is going to blow up. And that, that's what he was asking. I thought it was an interesting question. 
I did too. That's why I wanted to make sure I can understand this. I don't think that is something that teams do. I think you you always are going to say a word or two to your opponent. These kids know each other, and you know if they can get away with it without the officials seeing them, they're going to talk back and forth to each other like a hey, dude. You know they they just whisper to them, but different things and so on. But yeah, you know uh, you have to be disciplined. Griffin got an unnecessary uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. You, you can't you can't be doing that. You have to control yourself, and uh, discipline is part of it. You don't see that happening in Alabama. If it does, man, you're really in deep trouble. You don't see that happening at Clemson. You don't see that happening at Ohio State. Occasionally it does. So I can't say, you know, 100 percent that doesn't happen. But you've got to be able to be more disciplined, not to allow that to happen, and you can't beat yourself. And those type of things beat yourself. With all everything else that's going on, with the mistakes that are going on, and you're not moving the football, and the interception, and turnovers, and penalties, and all of that, that's all a combination. Here you are playing the seventh or eighth ranked team in the country, and you're doing all of this. I mean, how can you do that and still be successful as far as winning? So basically, it was a complete package, as the person called a minute ago, with the Black Sox and everything else that's going on. And one thing that really bothers me, too, is before the game, Ryan, when they're all out there with no shirts on, dancing around and doing all of that, when the other team comes out dressed in what they're supposed to wear and warming up, people are out there on the field that shouldn't be out there. The way I used to have it when I coached, and maybe this is old time, no one was on the field before the game unless you were an early out with your supervised coach. Your coach was with you to make sure you were accomplishing what you have to accomplish. There was no social time. No type of dancing time. Everyone else was in the locker room until I said early outs out. Their coach would go out. Everybody else would be in the locker room, and then I'd bring the team out myself. So, you know, these are all the different things that have changed. I I don't know. uh, Other programs might do the same thing. That's fine. I won't uh, deliver a message on that. But I'm, I'm old school. I think people should wear your colors, act your age, and be there for what you're supposed to be there for. All right, Coach, we got a bunch more questions to get to uh, about more about the future of the team and Clay Hilton's status and all that kind of stuff. We're going to take a quick break, come right back, and uh, finish off all these questions. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Another uh, long voicemail. We're not going to play the whole thing. It was like a three-minute one. Arthur and the OC. I liked it. A lot of passion, but uh, it was just way too long, Arthur. Sorry about that. But he said this was the first time He's ever left a home game early. He's been going to games for about 50 years. Uh, he feels this, this terrible leadership. 
that they conspired with the NCAA to really hurt this football team and, and leave USC fans with Clay Helton. He was never qualified to coach and lead this program. Uh, there's only one coach to him, and that's the only home run, and he gave a really passionate speech about hiring Urban Meyer like you already talked about. He said USC can't afford not to hire one proven winner. Uh, he won't continue with Cardinal and Gold membership, and he's done going to USC games unless USC hires Urban Meyer. So it was a very passionate email, um, just a little too long. Well, you know, <clears throat> I just spoke on that a moment ago. It's uh, You don't get a second chance on this hire. I mean, you've been through, you know, even the athletic directors here, Mike Garrett, whether you liked him or not, he was there 17 years, okay? And they won a lot of championships there and uh, built the Galen Center and the McKay Center. That's all part of what Mike Garrett started. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't there. And when he left, everything sort of went to you-know-what. And it's been there since then. I mean, if they had some successful years with players there as far as uh, with Sam Darnold and so on. And then things have sort of gone the other way. There's always a carryover when coaches come in and they've great players are there and the winning tradition is still there and the field is still there and so on. And you can get it done. But I don't think the program's any different than what it was a year ago when T. Martin was there and those coaches they let go. I don't see anything different or better or so on than what it was. So I don't know how much of an improvement they've made here this year, and I think they're probably incapable of doing it. So I agree with you. There's got to be a change. You've got to shock the world. And you can't worry about what anybody else says. You've got to bring somebody in. That I'm going to tell you right now, if they name Urban Meyer the head football coach, everybody's going to be talking about that. There'll be some negatives, but there's going to be positives. And I, I don't know how the USC Trojan family would feel. But you'd hear me talk on this show about what that's the greatest hire if you let him do what he's supposed to do. I'm telling you. Because the whole country will be talking about that. Yeah, positive, 90% of the time, always there is some negative stuff that always people want to talk about, a lot of them because of envy. But bring a guy in who knows what he's doing. You'd have to teach him. He's done it before. Let him bring in. I know the Pac-12. I know what happened in the Pac-12. They'd all... They'd all have a heart attack, okay? Most of them would go and find a family plot somewhere because they know in the near future they're going to have to lay in it because the years of dominating the uh, Pac-12 USC would be back. And I'm telling you, that's the face of the program. You get great television uh, game times because nationally people would want to see Urban Meyer coaching the Trojans. You get great. T everything would be great. Everything would be great. So if they can't see this big picture, if they can't see the impact of what it's going to be in L.A. and his speaking and traveling and the Trojan excitement and meeting him and so on, I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, it's a slam dunk. I'd be talking to him. If they're going to make a change, don't fool around. Give him a chance to get started. Yeah. So that was a really long voicemail. This is the opposite of that, so I like these. And this is a former... This guy called in before and left too long of a voicemail, but I like this one. Well, the, the link of it. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. This is Donald from Chicago. I know you told us to um, keep the voicemail short, so I will. Fire Helton now. It's Donald from Chicago. Short and sweet. <laughs> we're, get, short we're, get, we're getting a lot of that, though, Coach. A lot of people just want it. They want it over now. We talked about the apathy. A lot of people, 
want this to be over right now? Well, let me tell you. I'll give you an example. Florida State uh, made a coaching change this weekend with Willie Taggart. It's costing them $17 million to pay him off, okay? $20 million when you look at paying off his entire staff. Now, there's a dedicated football program. It wasn't going the way it was supposed to be going. They want to do it now, get started for the coming year, find out and identify who their coach is going to be and whatever. Football is important to them, and success is important to them. Well, if it is with USC, then they have to determine themselves what they're going to do as far as the future of USC Trojan football and the athletic director who's going to be hired and, and what's going to be happening here, the overall program itself. So, you know, if you're going to do it, don't, don't save, you know, don't just take your time. Get it done so the new guy can get in and get started and do it and evaluate the talent and see some things that are happening. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but if USC is smart, they're going to get, they got to get going with their decision, you know, and whatever that decision is, uh, there's only one or the other. So make it. Yeah. And, and with the early signing period, and I, I want to talk to you about this, you know, back in your day, we've seen, and you know, not even that long ago, just a few years ago, we could see coaching changes happen in December and January. And it wasn't as big of a deal because February was sort of like the big time. Like that's the, the signing period would be the first Wednesday in February. So if you had a few weeks before that, you could usually do things. So people would wait to like hire like NFL coordinators who were in the playoffs and, you know, you could wait for them. USC did that with uh, Paul Hackett. Like they waited for him, I think until mid to late January or something. Um, I don't think you can do that any longer because it's now the third Wednesday in December. And this year it's December 18th. If you are not in place, if you don't have a coach in place at that point, your recruiting class won't be good. And it's not, the early signing period, it's basically the signing period now. There's just there's a few guys that'll be available later on, but you have to have the majority of your class done in mid the middle, you know, mid uh, to late December, which I don't like. I hate the timing of that. But to me, you have to go, you have to whatever the rules are, you have to kind of play within the rules. And the rules are now you can't wait. You're Florida State, you go, you know what, Taggart's not our guy. We're done. Like, you can't be, I'm going to be nice to the family. I'm going to let him coach out. He deserves the coach out. No, none of that stuff matters anymore to me. It's because you need to get, if you know that's not your guy, then you just got to do it now. And I, I mean, I think it's harsh because it's a, it's a harsh business. But the way the, the signing period is set up, Coach, I don't think you have a choice if you're a university. No, and, and let me tell you, I've said this many times on our podcast and other things I do. Hey, coaches know what they're in for. Coaches know they don't get paid $2 million a year for, for just being a good guy. They get paid to, to bring what the university is paying them to do. So, you know, they're, they're on the same page you and I are on. Of course, they're not going to say that. They hope it doesn't happen, but it happens. And, you, you know, you feel sorry for guys that aren't successful and also the assistant coaches, but you're doing them a favor in a way, too. You're putting the misery off. As far as the uncertainty in their lives with their kids and the holidays coming up and finding a new job and moving and, and being able to start effectively looking for a new uh, teaching position or coaching position. So, you know, you've got to be realistic, and that's part of the business. It's 
part of the business. I don't know how much Coach Helton would get, but it's a, I've heard $9 million or whatever. You know, that's not chump chains. And he's had a great career, and he's a nice person. He's a respected person. So he'll he'll catch on somewhere, and he'll be fine. He had a great experience. His coaches have, too. But the university has a responsibility, too, to the university and to the uh, the the Pac-12, if nothing else, as far as getting it back on its feet. Right now, the Pac-12 has no respect. Fortunately, some of the teams in the Southeastern Conference and so on are playing each other and getting beat. So Oregon is moving up, and so is Utah moving up in the Pac-12, which gives them some credibility, and I really like that. So, you know, but you got to do what you got to do, and coaching is something that you understand. You know, uh, if you don't get fired, then you've never been in coaching very long. <laughs> um, we got Steven San Diego wrote in. He called it hashtag embarrassment. Ryan Accrue, I think Hayden and Swan should both be sued for gross negligence and dereliction of duty. This game was not only an embarrassment to all Trojan alumni, but a huge black eye on our amazing history. The air raid sucks. It's never won a championship in college or the NFL. Fire Helton and run the damn ball. If SC uh, shits the bed and doesn't get this urban hire thing done, I'm burning my diploma. Woo! Steve in San Diego, not happy. Well, Steve, uh, you should be happy. And uh, you've heard me talk about the hirings of the athletic director and the inexperience. I mean, you don't hire just named people that have never done it before. And I've talked about that as far as you go to a doctor that's never had a, done a heart transplant before, but he's going to do you for the first time. Same with an airplane pilot. Never flown a plane before, Air Force One, but you're going to fly with him. No, you're not. Well, not that Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan weren't great athletes or successful people in whatever field they chose to do. But you can't just come into a position where you have to take the NCAA test to see if you can pass it as far as the rules and regulations and all the different things before you go to work. I mean, that just shows you right there you're not qualified. So, you know, uh, they made mistakes. And I don't think you sue Pat Hayden. I don't think you sue Lynn Swan. You look at the people who's responsible in making those hires. Because obviously they took those jobs because they were able to either BS somebody or or get a $2.5 million job or whatever they were paid and uh, have some fun and be the uh, uh, ego uh, person that both of them seem to be as far as in that position. So, so be it. That's past. You can't worry about the past. You got to worry about the future, and the future is now, as George Allen used to say. Yeah, future is now. Um, we got a couple more for you, Coach. This was a text we got. Uh, great game on Saturday. Just goes to show the huge weakness in the head coach and his disconnect between the talk and the walk, i.e. lack of tough practices equals not tough in real games. We have great talent, but not a great head coach. Nice guys finish last in the Pac-12. He said, I can't wait for the urban movement. Please comment on any real news of getting Coach Meyer. And then P.S. Why is the Peristyle not lit for night games anymore? Pretty bad we spend $310 million and can't show it off. Uh, so that was a text. Yeah, I don't know about the peristyle not being lit. Um, I don't know if you heard anything about that, Coach. But No, I haven't heard anything about that. Uh, I haven't noticed that. I've been watching what's happening on the field. But uh, maybe, Ryan, you can check into that for this gentleman, and uh, we'll have an answer. But most of the calls are 90% 
Urban Meyer. Yeah. Now, if Urban Meyer is not hired, I wonder what the alumni of USC is going to figure now. Because uh, uh, that would be... Uh, I haven't heard him come out and say he doesn't want the job. And I'm not going to tell you what I know as far as inside sources either. But I'm telling you, uh, the world is watching to see what this hire is going to be as far as college football, okay? Because that's the type of football program that USC is. And if you have a chance to get one of the top coaches in college football, I mean, as far as in the same realm as Saban and Dabo Sweeney and, uh, you know, these type of coaches, then why wouldn't you? I mean, why wouldn't you? And this is the question I think they should be asked uh, if that hire isn't done. And I think it's going to be more damaging to USC and their football program and to the family that loves to support football than anything else. Yeah. One last one. And of course it has to do with coach Meyer. Also, he says, uh, hello, Ryan and coach Hyde. I would like you both to opine on the off the field issues in, in uh, USC's coaching selection. What are the concerns off the field concerns with urban Meyer? How much weight should be assigned to these concerns since winning rightly or wrongly seems to make all but the most egregious issues go away. Thanks from Dave. Well, the issues I <clears throat> I hear and what they talk about baggage, his past baggage and past baggage. Well, I know one of his past baggage is winning too much, okay? Everybody, you know, when you win as much as he's won, you, you look and say, oh, man, he wins too much. He can't be doing things right and this and that. Well, he has. He hasn't had any NCAA violations, and that seems to be the number one thing that buries most people. Now, unfortunately, he had some players at Florida that got in trouble, but who hasn't? At least he gave these players an opportunity to go to college. Someone admitted them into college. Somebody thought they had the grades to get there. Where does it, as I said earlier, the dean of student activities get involved? And when does the player himself become, become responsible and the parents or mother or father of this student-athlete, when they've given an opportunity and they blow it. Why should it be the coach's fault that a kid makes a mistake, blows it, and then it, it, he's the one that lives with that the rest of his life? So that's my first thing there. I've been through that before, okay? I've had players I've recruited that have gotten trouble before. And the first thing they do is they call me and they say, Coach, why did he do that? Well, I say, I guarantee you I didn't tell him to do that, Okay. I guarantee him we talk about these things all the time. I guarantee you that this is something that I wasn't aware of, encouraged it ever, at all. So, But this kid has made a mistake, and he has to live up and pay the dues to it. And whatever those dues are and whatever the things that happen, happen. But you can't blame an individual when, when it wasn't really his doing. He didn't want that to happen. But it happened. Now, the situation at Ohio State that everybody's talking about as far as the other part of it is very unfortunate. Earl Bruce's uh, son-in-law and, and this and that, and he got in trouble and, and did some things that was stupid. I call it right now. Absolutely don't uh, think that's the proper thing for anyone to do as far as with his wife and that type of handling. That was ridiculous and stupid. Now, as far as him and his situation... Uh, I don't know exactly the inside of it and how he handled and what he knew or what he didn't know. I don't know if anybody does really, but he paid his dues there. He was suspended three games. He didn't coach, and then he uh, left. So, you know, there's a lot behind the scenes, too, that 
you and I don't know about. All I can do is judge that what the coach did was wrong and how did he administrated that or did he know or didn't he know? Did his wife know or did not know? I don't know. How do we know? How does the media know? How does anybody know except for the people that were there and know exactly what happened? So, but that should not be. He paid his dues. He hasn't coached. He set out three games. He went through all that humiliation. He went through all that stress and everything. So, you know, I mean, he's he was wrong probably if he knew. He's wrong definitely if he knew and didn't do anything, okay? He's wrong. But to ruin his life and say he's not a good football coach or a good person, or how about all the great kids he's helped and the coaches he's helped that are head coaches now and all of that, you just erase that from what he's done? Hey, man, you know, everybody's got somebody, something in their closet. Think about it, all of you that are listening. What's in that closet that you're not proud of that happens sometime? So, you know, you move on. You try to give a guy an opportunity. He's a good person. National television obviously thinks he's qualified to talk about football, and they're not embarrassed about him being on the air, and USC shouldn't be embarrassed about him being their head football coach. All right, Coach, well stated like that. I'm definitely in the Urban Meyer camp and uh, feel USC should 100% should be the only candidate to start, and that's who you go after. And if he doesn't want to return to coaching, you you put something in front of him to make him say no. You go all in on it. Not the way USC's done it before. Like when they talk to Chris Peterson, they're like, well, you could come, but we'd want it to be this way. No, you just go in like, here's a check. Here's what, what do you want to do with it? Let's do this. And uh, make him say no. I think that's what USC has to do 100%. And they haven't done anything like that before, Coach. They've never hired people like that since, you know, I guess uh, Howard Jones in the 1920s that he had won a national championship before. Um, they haven't gone outside and got a, a proven winner like that before. So we'll see what happens. But, hey, great stuff, Coach. Uh, great show. Three games left, so we'll have to see how this uh, – is USC going to limp in? USC was 5-4 and four last year, if you remember, and finished 5-7. and seven. Um, We'll see if that happens again. But uh, thanks again, Coach, for coming on. Well, thank you, guys. And follow me at Coach Harvey, I'd will you? And I'll let you know every time I'm going to be on the podcast or whatever other thing I'm doing. And remember – after every quarter, I sort of tweet out my thinkings of what's happened in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. And if you'd like to follow me, you'll get my views immediately. So, uh, again, uh, buddy, Brian, thank you for having me on. And uh, have a good week and take care, everybody. That sounds good. Thanks, Coach. And uh, make sure, yeah, check out Coach on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, I mean, uh, Twitter or Instagram. He does some videos from the Rose Bowl on his Instagram feed and stuff. So, good stuff there. Uh, that's the coach. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. We will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Old Man 
winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.